Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. So views and opinions of Nature Talk are not necessarily views of Talk Show. Game Ready Productions. Sonia.com and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kennedy Jenkins. This is your Sunday evening forum, Nation Talk. Nation Talk is a live public affairs program that deals with issues concerning you from the studios of Savannah, Georgia. Get into the conversation. Call 1724-444-7444. Call ID number 55519-POUND. That's 1724-444-7444. Call ID number 55519-POUND.
Texas isn't always perfect, but you didn't give it up. So don't give up on birth control either. There are more benefits than you think. Find out at bedsider.org. That's bedsider.org. A message from Bedsider and and the Ad Council. People have all kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger. So um, we don't have those Energy Star appliances. So that old window leaks. How much energy and money could the new ones really save? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can. Because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later. And you just never know what people will need in the future. My name is Sarah. And I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, visit loseyourexcuse.gov parents. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and the station. The views and opinions of Mason Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk Show. CanadaProtectionCenter.com and its sponsors. This is Mason Talk. Nation Talk, the Sunday evening forum that deals with issues concerning you, you and especially you. Tonight, we're on a variety of subjects, subject matter. Subject matters that's been going on this week. One of the one of the things that um, I talk about is, as you know, the the Boston Marathon bomber, well, the brother, one of the brothers of the doing of the Boston Marathon bombing. Um, the one that survived, actually, is going to be put to death. Uh, that That's the after story that's been buzzing all week. And uh, this guy was just following, and this is what I heard now. This is from the report that I heard, that he was following 
along with what his brother was doing. Now he didn't have he said he didn't have any idea his brother was going to actually going to do that. But you know I I don't know if it's, I don't know if the statement if he's if it was true. This is the only thing I can come from. It's just from what I heard from the news. So he's going to be sentenced to death. That's one of the subjects. Uh, the first lady. On race, uh, this has been a big issue since during the Obama administration. Uh, also, we're also going to talk about that that um, train that train up in Philly that in uh, the train crash that 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 turned over and went just went off the tracks. In Philadelphia, uh, after all my after all those years I've been riding the Amtrak, that is one of the, the things I have never I haven't heard anything like that. And, the, and according to the uh, NTB, he was going too fast around the curve, over a hundred miles per hour. That is entirely too fast. To go around, to go, to cut that corner like that, and we're going to also remember blues legend BB King, and say goodbye to tonight to the uh, night show uh, tonight with David Letterman. We say David Letterman, farewell this week. And also with other news, I want to say hello to Chats. 48, good evening and welcome to the program. Uh, let's go right to this uh, report about the Boston bomber who gets the death sentence. I think his mother has something to say about this too. Arzarnayev has been sentenced to death in connection with his role in the Boston Marathon bombing. That comes after three days of jury deliberations. And the jury sentenced Zarnayev to death on six of the 17 counts, including use of a weapon of mass destruction, bombing of a public place, and malicious destruction of property. A death sentence required a unanimous vote from the jury members, but if they had failed to agree on it, the life sentence would have been imposed automatically. And listen to this. The jury sentenced to, uh, the, the young man to death on six of 17 accounts, including use a weapon of mass destruction, bombing of the public place, and malicious destruction of property. A distance required a unanimous vote from the jury members. But if it, if it has failed to agree on it, the life sentence would have been imposed automatically, which means that he'll probably, if they don't decide, that he'll probably get Life in prison, no parole, 
nothing. Just just uh just still spend the rest of his life in, in prison. So with that saying, as well let's continue to hear some more. So they did have that unanimous uh agreement on the sentencing of death. Now just in case you've forgotten some of the results of that bombing that he received this death sentence for, the bombing killed three people, Martin Richard, who is eight, uh, Lindsay Liu, 23, and Crystal Campbell, 29, and injured 264 others, more than a dozen of whom lost legs. And then uh, afterward, on April 18th, the brothers assassinated an MIT police officer, Sean Collier, in his patrol car in a botched attempt to steal his gun. Now, I heard, yeah, I remember hearing that all through all this time, right at the time of the explosion, um, they executed the the police officer and attempted to steal his gun. And by the process, is uh, doing this bombing. Uh, it's tragic that they seem. It's a tragic story, you know. These people did not have to die. They seriously, uh, uh, really, they didn't have to. Um, it wasn't a freak accident. It was outright terrorism. And so we're going to read some of the uh, sort of philosophical justification for this death penalty uh, being applied to him. But what was your initial reaction when you heard about this? Well, I think I'm pretty consistent when it comes to the issue of the death penalty. I don't care who it's regarding. I'm against the death penalty, um, not only because there are cases where innocent people are executed, but also philosophically, I just don't think that it makes sense to murder people, to murder people as punishment for them murdering people, right? I think it just sends the wrong message. I'm, I'm against it. And also, I... I don't have any love for him. I'm not making any excuses for him. I think that he should serve the rest of his life behind bars. But I also think that he was young and impressionable, and I think he was influenced by his radicalized brother. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I just don't agree with the death penalty. He, okay. If you, uh, I like to hear. I like to hear your comments on it. One seven two four, four 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 seventy four forty four. Call ID number five 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 one nine pound. Here's the number to call, and I like to hear your uh, like to hear your opinion. I'll, I'll I'll give my opinion at the hear of this. She makes the exact right point when she says that you know murdering a murderer to prove that murder is wrong is sounds inherently stupid. Mm-hmm. And when I woke up to this was when um, Timothy McVeigh bombed uh, the Oklahoma City Federal Building, and Bill Clinton came on and he gave a speech. And during the speech, and I was all for killing him, right? I'm all, let's kill everybody. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then Bill, Bill Clinton gave us, he, he said, we, we are going to seek the death penalty because we have to send the message that violence is not the answer to any of our problems. Mm-hmm. And it just, boom, my bullshit to time. I'm like, hey, that's the contradiction. I don't know if you realize that, mm-hmm. that you just are saying you're going to do the exact thing you hate yeah. and to fix it. Yeah. So if we're going to murder murderers, why don't we rape rapists, right? Uh-huh. Oh, because nobody you wants to You find be... volunteers. Uh, be a short line. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that they would say that the distinction is that the government should be allowed to murder people because they're really sure that those <laughs> yeah. people should die. 
But the problem with that is Joker probably felt very sure those people should die. Everybody who kills people feels that they know what they're doing. They're wrong, and they're crazy, and in some cases they seem evil. Um, so why don't we just avoid the entire problem by not murdering? And, and the truth is, when it comes to the death penalty, a lot of it has to do with vengeance more than making a rational or logical decision. Yeah, it's a very emotional decision, and I can totally understand why people want it. I despise people who murder others, who ruin the lives of others, who totally just have a complete disregard for human lives. But at the same time, the right punishment, if you want to look at every single element of this, what's more cost-effective, what sends a better message to society, what's more effective in deterring this, these types of crimes, I would argue that the death penalty does not do any of those things. The death penalty actually uh, is more expensive, especially when you consider the fact uh, that, you know, you they're going to spend a significant amount of time behind bars before they get executed. Yeah. And also, it just sends the wrong message. So it doesn't really achieve anything, and it hasn't served as a deterrent at all. In fact, the opposite. They've done studies, and they, uh, in states, uh, after they have an execution, uh, violence goes up in the state. Murder goes up. It doesn't go the other way. Hmm. So there's no deterrent at all to the death penalty. So now if there's no deterrent, now we're just doing it for vengeance. For vengeance. That's yeah. the yeah. only reason. Yeah, we, yeah. So we're validating all the uh, dark emotions that we're supposed to rise above because we have a frontal lobe, yeah. right? But we don't. Now we give in to them, and they're going to give a bunch of bullshit reasons because this is the worst kind of a crime. And It's the same thing with torture. It's not about that guy or what that guy did. It's about our society. Mm -hmm. It's about how we handle things. Yeah. And if we value, if you value state murder, which is what it is, then go for it. I'm against state murder in every situation. We all see when, you know, uh, North Korea as their people or Saudi Arabia or Iraq. Yeah. We all see how crazy that is, but somehow we get it right in America. It's funny to me, the same people who don't trust the government to deliver a letter will trust the government to kill people. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I just want I, I should probably go without saying, but I, yeah, I agree with Anna. He should never, ever, ever, ever be free again. And I agree. I think you're probably right. He probably was influenced by his brother, but I do think that there, when you're of a certain age and you do certain things, you might well have been influenced, but we can't we can't take the chance of ever giving you your freedom again. Right. I think he should never I be released. Of course, of course agree with you yeah. on that. So let's uh, let's you were talking about. There's going to be some justification for it. So this is again, this is not from the actual uh, jury or from the judge. This is from Loretta Lynch, the attorney general. But she said, "We know all too well that no verdict can heal the souls of those who lost loved ones, nor the minds and bodies of those who suffered life-changing injuries from this cowardly attack. But the ultimate penalty is the fitting punishment for this horrific crime." And we hope that the completion of this prosecution will bring some measure of closure to the victims and their families. And so I agree. I do think that there's a vengeance element, a revenge element. And I, I, people will often say, well, what if it was your family member that had been killed? You're, and they, you're probably right. I would probably be biased to, to want yeah. death. There's a reason why the jury is not just composed of the 12 people <laughs> yeah. most directly affected yeah. by the crime. Right. Um, he should go to jail. That there's nothing extra that we get out of killing him in this case. And there's many cases or arguments that can be made that we, we lose a lot. It's, there's a great cost to doing that. And also, um, I apologize for forgetting the handle of the Twitter account that someone sent this to, but I, I think that this person made a really good point. By executing him, you're kind of giving him what he wants, right? Doesn't he want to be referred to as a martyr? And mm -hmm. so this could be considered martyrdom in his sick and twisted logic. 
And so I, I think that it doesn't achieve anything at all. In fact, for those who believe in this radicalized type of uh, thinking, he's getting exactly what he wants. Yeah. They're getting exactly what they want. I think you're right. That question, people always think that that's the argument winner when they say, what if it was your wife or what if it was yeah, your yeah. daughter that the guy killed? How would you feel then? Because if you say anything, they all think they're going to get you in that Dukakis moment, remember? Because they uh, famously asked uh, Mike Dukakis, Democratic nominee, he was against you, uh, right, he's got cock right in the middle and a kiss right at the end, you know, he's cock kissers. And uh, they asked him... What she brought it up. I <laughs> know she did. That's true. I can't help it. Every time I hear his name, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> so they asked Dukakis, what if it was your wife or daughter who was murdered and raped? Well, how would you still be against the death penalty? And he famously uh, fanned on that. He couldn't answer that question. And uh, the way you're supposed to answer that is, of course I'd want that guy dead. If someone killed my wife or my kid, I'd want that guy dead. I want him dead when they get my order wrong in the drive-thru. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what that means? That means the victim shouldn't be doling out the punishment. Right. We yeah. should have an objective judge doling out the punishment, and that's why you don't let the victim decide what the punishment is in every situation. Exactly, yeah. We have somebody who has a larger view of what's best for our society, and so state murder is not good for our society. We did a video a few months back, I think, was where they had done polling about support for the death penalty, but it was really interesting because they broke it down based on what is the principal reason you support the death penalty. Is it that you think it will deter crime? Do you think eye for an eye is a good thing? Do you think it'll save money? All those sorts of things. And you see each of those rationales have differing levels of support. And I think if I remember correctly, eye for an eye has actually been going up. And it yeah. is, people are willing to say, no, I, I just want the revenge. I don't, I don't actually believe anymore it's going to deter crime. Uh, but anyway, if you're interested in this, you should try to find that, that survey data, because that's really... All right. I want to hear from you. 1724-444-7444. Call ID number 555519-POUND. What do you think? Should he be punished to death? Or just serve, or just serve a life sentence? And I'll give you my, I'll give you my opinion. This is Nation Talk. Hi, this is Donnie McClickin, and I've got a personal note that I'd really like to drop in your spirit today. I want you to understand the blessings of God and how they're supposed to enhance our lives. Blessings are not always financial. But the Bible says in Proverbs 10 and 22, it says, The blessings of God makes us rich and adds no sorrow. This richness that it's speaking of deals with our lives being full, our lives being complete, our joy being prevalent and noticeable, us being seen as someone who profits in God. The richness of God deals with a soul that is healed, a spirit that is in touch with Jesus. Our lives being rich is having our family whole, as having our friends close, and even our enemies reconciled. The blessings of God makes us rich and will take your sorrows away. The odds of a young girl being discovered by an industry insider while singing to herself pumping gas? One in 300 million. The odds of the daughter of a clergyman from Severn, Maryland, spending 11 weeks at number one on the U.S. singles charts? One in 19 million. The odds of going on to win six Grammy Awards? One 
to 1.4 million. The odds of selling over 40 million records? One in 800,000. The odds of this musician and performer having a child diagnosed with autism? One in 110. I'm Tony Braxton, and I encourage you to learn the signs of autism at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Autism Speaks. It's time to listen. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Can you tell if the surfaces in this kitchen are crawling with bacteria that could cause chronic arthritis? Listen. Can't, can you? You can't see it either. Wash surfaces, utensils, and hands frequently with soapy water while preparing food, especially when handling raw meats or eggs. Raw food may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. One in six Americans will get sick from food poisoning this year, and roughly 3,000 will die. But you can keep your family safer by cleaning with soap and water as you go. Learn more about this and other important information. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. That's foodsafety.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Sham Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. The views of the people of the nation talk are not necessarily viewed or talk to you. Generated production, com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk.
the opposing views on it that uh, and then and then they brought the the the, the um what if what if it's your card? I think this is my personal view of it. It's wrong. Biblically, it's wrong. It's wrong on all sides, period. Um, It doesn't, like the the young lady said, it doesn't make sense to to kill somebody who killed somebody else and and then put them to death. It doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't make any sense to me of why or how this system. And you're right, the justice system that is not equal. It's not. It's been it's been proven not to be equal because uh, Baltimore, remember, Baltimore, the incident there, Trayvon Martin, remember. But it's not. It is. It's yeah. It seems uh, conservatives. It seems conservatives and us family like it though. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The conservatives. You got some. You got some conservatives who who, who, who do like that penalty. Yeah, he he needs to be punished. Kill him. Put more to death. Come on, on death row. I don't care. Yeah, and the only and like you said, if two costs, it costs too much to put these folks to death. And you got folks from death row right now sitting. You got some folks right now sitting in death row. Some of them for crimes they didn't even do. Right now, some of them, yeah, some some of them did. Do a crime, but it's it's still wrong. I I don't care what nobody say, and nobody gonna nobody gonna is gonna uh, uh, twist my arm or whisper in my ear or try to talk a hole in my head about death penalty. I said I already said it. I I said how I feel. I'm against it. And that's how, and that's it. Period. They could try to talk a hole in my head all they want. I am against it. Point blank. Totally. I don't care what the I don't care what the crime is from out the crime either from bombing Oklahoma or the bombing in in the bombing Oklahoma Oklahoma City or the bombing in Boston or the the, the uh, Twin Towers of New York? No. No. They should not be put to death. They should be put... They, they shouldn't be put to death. They should just serve their time until the day they die. And not put them out the misery before they die. Let them serve their time before... Let them serve their time until the day they die. Period. And don't put them on death row. It's wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. What what if my a family member um 
gets killed and somebody killed. No, I'm against it. I, I if 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 I ever get on a jury, <clears throat> and it has to do with with, with the death penalty, it's gonna be a hung jury. It will be a hung jury because because I would not. I won't be. I'm not going to take part. I I, I feel like I might. If I do go with it, then go along with it. Then I feel like I got blood on my hands. I feel like I. I feel. I feel like I'm responsible for killing that person, for killing, for that person for killing. Well, you, you you get the point. You you get the dog on point. Anyway. Um, it, just let the boy do his time. Just let the boy do his time. You know, his brother, he already lost his brother as it is in this whole ordeal. And he, he was only fun. He was only doing what, I, I guess he was what, doing what his brother was, you know, falling behind his brother. So, you know. That's that's my take on it. And you like chance um justice system is the justice system ain't right. Lynn Julian is a Boston bombing uh, survivor. She is on the line uh watching and listening to all this. Lynn, what do you think about what the jury decided? I think that and Massachusetts is well known for being a very civil state, and as you said, there's no death penalty in Massachusetts. Uh, I'm in shock. I think probably most residents are in shock that we never thought that the jury would decide this way. Are you pleased that they made this decision? I would never use the word pleased. I think that what has happened to me, my brain injury and my back injury, my hearing loss, my hearing aids, it's all permanent. No verdict is going to change the injuries and, and the deaths that he caused. Our lives are never going to be the same, and we move forward with our new lives, and we're grateful to have them at life at all, as we all should be. But I don't think there's closure. I, I There's going to be tons of appeals, and I really don't know that this sentence will ever be even implemented. Did you want a death penalty sentence? I don't know that it ma really matters what what I or the other survivors want. Uh, it's kill it, it say that, that he was sentenced to death, it would not bring my old brain back or my hearing back or take away the chronic pain I live in. And so tell me about how it is then that you do get closure. I think the best that we can hope for as survivors is to move forward with our life and find happiness, learn to love our new body, learn to love our new life because we can't have our old body or our old life back. And uh, that's how we, we find closure is moving forward and finding happiness again. As you watch all of this and you, and you want the, does this make you relive that day? Is this something that you don't that you don't want to see? 
absolutely. Uh, I live in that neighborhood. I live a block from the finish line. That is my neighborhood that he changed forever. And everything in the neighborhood is called a trigger now. That's what my therapist calls them, triggers. Everything you see still still reminds me of that day. I have a lot of severe PTSD from it. Do you think, though, that maybe a death, a death sentence sends a message to anyone else, thinking that if they try something like this ever again, that that, this, that, that would be the result? Does it give you some solace? Um, it, that may be the message that's being sent. I do hope that penalties are harsh enough to prevent anyone from considering doing this again, and we have certainly stepped up security considerably in Boston since. And, 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 and this makes, it makes, this makes nice things look like a barbaric society, I mean, country, by, by putting somebody to death. Over in the Middle East, give you a perfect example. Remember the Christians that that was that was um caught in um who were caught by the um I forgot the name I forgot the group that that um I caught by ISIS and made them as prisoners. And what they did was they didn't get their way they couldn't get their way, so they decided if they can't get their way, they'll just kill these Christians by beheading them. And I guess that I guess that's their, that's their message to the United States: if you don't give us what we want, we're going to behead you. We're going to behead these people, these Christians. And that's barbaric. That's outright barbaric, the way they did it, the way they do it. It's it's not... And and I just remember, too, Massachusetts, the state of Massachusetts, um, used to... From what I heard, from what I read, from what I heard, they used to burn, especially up in Salem, Massachusetts. They used to the the way they used to get rid of pe- people of that of their kind, like like the witches. That they found out if you're a witch, or a warlock, or whatever, they they catch you, they have a trial, and they burn you. They mean they burn witches. Now, this is what I read, this is what I heard. This is during the 1600s. That was a form of death penalty. Um, another form of death penalty, um, back in the Old West, they used to hang, they used to hang, if you did a crime or a robbery or you kill somebody, you're going to get hung. That was their form of punishment. Here in the state of Georgia, they had a, they used to use the electric chair. They don't use it anymore. 
it's um, O-Sparky. For anybody who commit a crime, especially a very serious crime in state of Georgia, they're going to go and fire up old Sparky, which is the electric chairs. And they have, and they actually have executed a lot of people with old Sparky. They stopped doing, they stopped electric, they, they stopped doing that now. They, they're using um, lethal injections now. Or how do they or how do they do it now? Most states are doing it now. They they got away from the electric chair. Some of them, as far as I know of. But this thing about the capital punishment, it's 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 unbelievable. It is very unbelievable of the ways to get rid of people. And it's, and be honest with you, it, it's not right. It's not right the way, uh, and don't get me wrong, I don't, I do not condone what his brother, he and his brother did. I don't condone it. What he did, he's like the, the survivors said they changed, they changed, the city, the city has changed. They changed a lot of lives that day into that marathon. But I'm still against death penalty, regardless. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a way of of um, killing people. I mean, of um, punishing people. All you're doing is killing the killer. You're going back doing what they did. And like back in the comment, the comment um, that was made, that you're giving them what they want. You're giving them exactly what they want. They want they want to die. So you're giving them that, so, you, so you, you're giving them that wish. Okay, you... You kill us, and you want to die. We're gonna, we're gonna punish you. That ain't right. That is not right. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, let's take a break. This is Nation Talk. What are the limitations while employing minors? Stay right there. Today's legal alert might just keep you out of trouble with the law. Here's attorney David Gibbs, Jr. of the Christian Law Association. A Christian school comprised of a K-12 academy and a four-year college allows the college students to work on campus to help cover the cost of tuition. The students never receive cash but they are given an earnings statement at the end of the school year. The school's financial administrator contacted the Christian Law Association for advice concerning how to handle the financial records of 14- and 15-year-old students who work for the school. One of our attorneys explained that the minors should be treated exactly the same as the college students. Our attorney then advised the administrator to remember, 
that minors are limited by federal employment law to less than 18 hours of work per week when school is in session. That's attorney David Gibbs, Jr. of the Christian Law Association. And you can continue today's dialogue by exploring the resources waiting for you at our website, christianlaw.org. You can sign up for our free monthly newsletter or connect with an attorney at christianlaw.org. christianlaw.org. Well, howdy! Thanks for coming to Big Bubba's. We got a mess of used cars. What can we do for you? Uh, we're looking for, um... Something cute. Well, here's a beauty. A 99 model with a moonroof. As a bonus, we'll throw in a leaking gas tank. You can be driving and kaboom! Adds that zing of excitement. You got any other cars? Wouldn't it be great if you could be warned of life's risks? If you have diabetes, you can. There's a simple blood test called A1C that can help measure your risk of complications from diabetes. Why is it important? Because more than 600 people every day die from diabetes and its complications. If your A1C is above 7, your doctor can show you how to lower it. If you have diabetes, know your risk. Know your A1C. Ask your doctor. Or for more information, go to www.diabetesa1c.org or call 1-877-TEST-A1C. Brought to you by the American Diabetes Association, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation International, and the Ad Council. The views of opinions and nation talk are not necessarily the views of talk show, jam radio production, com, and its sponsors. This is Station Talk. We've been, we've been around in the news. First lady's comment on race during a graduation commencement that she that she um, that she spoke, and she was very excuse me she was very candid about it. Very very candid. Let's give it a listen. You can't skip this Geico ads because it's already over. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Michelle Obama gave a fantastic speech on race at Tuskegee University. Let's listen to a portion of it. The road ahead is not going to be easy. It never is, especially for folks like you and me. Because while we've come so far, the truth is that those age-old problems are stubborn, and they haven't fully gone away. So there will be times, just like for those airmen, when you feel like folks look right past you, or they see just a fraction of who you really are. The world won't always see you in those caps and gowns. They won't know how hard you worked and how much you've sacrificed to make it to this day. 
the countless hours you spent studying to get this diploma, the multiple jobs you worked to pay for school, the times you had to drive home and take care of your grandma, the evenings you gave up to volunteer at a food bank or organize a campus fundraiser, they don't know that part of you. Instead, they will make assumptions about who they think you are based on their limited notion of the world. And my husband and I know how frustrating that experience can be. We both felt the sting of those daily slights throughout our entire lives. The folks who crossed the street in fear of their safety, the clerks who kept a close eye on us in all those department stores, the people at formal events we were the help, and those who have questioned our intelligence, our honesty, even our love of this country. And I know that these little indignities are obviously nothing compared to what folks across the country are dealing with every single day. Those nagging worries that you're going to get stopped or pulled over for absolutely no reason. The fear that your job application will be overlooked because of the way your name sounds. The agony of sending your kids to schools that may no longer be separate but are far from equal. The realization that no matter how far you rise in life, how hard you work to be a good person, a good parent, a good citizen, for some folks, it will never be enough. And all of that is going to be a heavy burden to carry. It can feel isolating. It can make you feel like your life somehow doesn't matter that you're like the invisible man that Tuskegee grad Ralph Ellison wrote about all those years ago. And as we've seen over the past few years, those feelings are real. They're rooted in decades of structural challenges that have made too many folks feel frustrated and invisible. And those feelings are playing out in communities like Baltimore and Ferguson and so many others across this country. But graduates, Today, I want to be very clear that those feelings are not an excuse to just throw up our hands and give up. Not an excuse. They are not an excuse to lose hope. Yeah, I love everything about that speech. Because it wasn't even just, so she gave all of the facts about, you know, racism, and she, ex she can explain in great detail that she understands exactly what it's like to grow up being black in America. But then she even ended it with a message that conservatives should love, right? The message at the end was her saying, even with all the, the, the horrible circumstances and the facts of reality and the history we're dealing with here in America, essentially, you can still do it, right? It's not an excuse. You can find a way. You're, you're smart enough. You're strong enough. You're bright enough. You're brilliant enough. You work hard enough. You got this. You can do it. So you would think conservatives would be like, oh, at least she ended it exactly how we wanted her to end it. Yes, yes. Nope, of course not. I think it was a raw story. They had an article earlier today, conservatives on Twitter, just going balls to the wall, fucking bonkers, going crazy. I love how any time a black person in America acknowledges the fact that race exists and that they have personal stories of racism in their own lives, they get called racist. If you discuss racism in any way that doesn't agree with the conservative take that reverse racism is worse, you're a racist. If you even say race as a liberal, you're racist. 
they try to flip it. This has been their argument forever. They do it with gay marriage, right? If you support gay marriage, you're the bigot for not accepting the, me being a bigot. They flip the history on its head. They flip the reality on its head. And here's the thing, man, and this is the point we've been trying to make for the longest time on Secular Talk. There are just flat-out empirical facts about racism that you can't override because your opinion is different. So, for example, and she alluded to it there, the resume study. So uh, if you have all the same work information and one name sounds white and one name sounds black, the white name gets 50% more callbacks. That's outside of like, oh, just by random chance. That's outside of that realm. In other words, what that means is, subconsciously or not, people who hire go, eh, I trust the white name more than the black name, so I'll give this person the job, even though the, the work experience is exactly the same. There's no other way to explain that other than race. If you try to deny that race is involved in that, you're an idiot. I want to be kind to you, I want to be nice to you, but you're just shoving your head directly up your anus. And I can't, I can't help you if, you're just, if you look at something like that and go, no, I don't see race as an issue here. Okay, then go, you know, suck Rush Limbaugh's dick a little more and see, see where that gets you in life. Uh, another example, disparity in the enforcement of drug laws. So uh, studies have shown that black people and white people use drugs at a very similar rate, but black people get arrested four times more often for using drugs. Again, race is the only way to explain that. How about selling drugs? White people sell more drugs in America. Black people get arrested more for selling drugs. No other way to explain that. One community is policed much more than the other community. Uh, another great example, the online sales study. When you have the same product, same price, one black hand holding the product, one white hand holding the product, which one gets picked more? The white hand, of course. And it, there was even the YouTube car study where a white guy tried to like break into his own car. Nobody cared. Everybody walked by. Police even drove by. Didn't care. When his black friend tried to do it, immediately the cop showed up, put him in cuffs, and they were rough with him. This is the problem. That racism does still exist, whether or not people want to acknowledge it. I mean, imagine. It, let me try to sum it up as quickly as I can here, because I'm running out of time. I can hear the countdown in my ear, but if you make it and you're successful and you're a black person, what happens oftentimes in the white community? We know. We've heard it a trillion times. Ah, affirmative action is the only reason he made it. We heard about Obama. They said that about Obama. Ah, affirmative action is the only reason. That's why the black person is successful. Always affirmative action. But if a black person doesn't make it, they go, ah, typical. You know how they are. They're just they're lazy. They don't work hard. They're part of that gangster culture. So. so wait a second. If they make it, you hold it against them and say, just affirmative action. If they don't make it, you hold it against them and say, ah, typical. Thug. What's going on here? So it's a... It's a lose-lose for them. So maybe you should get your understanding of the situation in perspective and realize that you have a bias against black people if that's the way you think. The polls are showing your husband is trailing Hillary 46% to 37% in the African-American community. Mm -hmm. What's going on here? Uh, first of all, I think that that's not going to hold. I'm completely confident. Black America will wake up <laughs> and, and get it. But what we're dealing with in the black community is just the natural fear of possibility. You know, when I look at my life, you know, the stuff that we're seeing in these polls has played out my whole life, you know, 
always been told by somebody that I'm not ready, you know, I can't do something, my scores weren't high enough. You know, there's always that doubt in the back of the minds of people of color, people who've been oppressed and haven't been given real opportunities that you never really believe, that you believe that somehow someone is better than you. Hmm. You know, deep down inside, you doubt whether you can do it because that's all you've been told is no, wait. <laughs> that's all you hear. And you hear it from people who love you, not because they don't care about you, but they're afraid. They're afraid that something might happen. It's interesting you say that, mm -hmm. excuse me, because um, stewardess yesterday, 22-year-old mm -hmm. African-American, and I asked her if she uh, was interested in Barack Obama mm -hmm. if she would vote for him. Mm -hmm. And she said, like this, she said, I don't think so, mm -hmm. because he probably can't win mm -hmm. because he's black. That's right. That's right. That is the, that, that's the psychology that's going on in our heads, in our souls, and I understand it. I know where it comes from, you know, and I think that it's one of the horrible legacies of racism and discrimination and oppression. Okay. She, she says black America is going to wake up. On the other hand, there is the chance that black America just likes Hillary Clinton better, and her voting for uh, I mean, black people aren't obligated to vote for Barack Obama. I think that was back in 2007 when Michelle Obama played the race card. Yeah. But, you know, the guy um, before that clip, he made, he made a lot of good sense. He's a white guy. And he made a lot of, he made a lot of sense. <laughs> he made a lot of good points as well. Whew. This, this first hour will go by so quickly. But we're going to return in the second hour with more. Speaking of the Obamas, the announcement of the Obama Library, we also remember B.B. King, say so long to David Letterman in his retirement, along with some other news that you probably can use. <laughs> This is Nation Talk, the Sunday evening forum. surprises. But what if a disaster strikes without warning? What if life as you know it has completely turned on its head? What if everything familiar becomes anything but? Would you be prepared? Before a disaster turns your family's world upside down, it's up to you to be ready. Get a kit. Make a plan. Be informed today. Learn how at www.ready.gov. Ready.gov. This message brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency and the Ad Council. Remember when the sexy whipped cream turned to a sticky mess? Even that didn't make you give up on sex. So don't give up on birth control either. 
There are more methods than you think. Find yours at bestsider.org. That's bestsider.org. A message from Bestsider and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. The views and opinions of Mission Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk Show, Jam Radio Productions, Storyhead.com, and its sponsors. This is Station Talk. This is Mason Talk. Good evening and welcome to our second hour. We can give some delightful um, subject matter tonight. Um, across the news, some of the things that have been happening this week. Um, for example, this is from ABC News, Good Morning America. Nine 
dead in Waco, Texas, back again, shooting, according to uh, cops says, uh, a fight that escalated to gunfire between rival biker gangs in, Waco, in a Waco, Texas restaurant parking lot. Today left nine people dead, police said. Uh, as they said, quote, as the fight progressed, it progressed very rapidly from hands and feet to weapons to chains. He said, my understanding, my understanding a club was involved and knives were involved. Officers were at the scene when the shooting started, police said, and some officers fired at the bikers. No bikers were injured, according to, according to the police. Um, witnesses reported hearing as many as 100 rounds fired from 30 guns. Jeez. Good Lord. Uh, called to Twin Peaks in Waco, and the Twin Peaks corporate office were not immediately re- uh, returned on on the uh, comments. Uh, looks like the bill of alcohol, tobacco, and firearm. The ATF was involved in this t- as well. What's going on? What's going on? disaster there is a live look at the scene this morning it's the busiest rail corridor in the country still shut down and today we're learning more about the final moments before that train went off the rails investigators saying it accelerated rapidly in its final minutes abc's david curley 
Okay. <laughs> but the big question this morning, as you mentioned, is why did that train accelerate in the final seconds before jumping the rails right behind me? These are the last seconds of the Amtrak train 188, closed circuit video obtained by our station WPBI. As the train hits that corner, all we can see is the flash. In those last seconds, the last minute, the eight-car train increased speed from 70 to more than 100 miles an hour, just 16 seconds before the crash. Investigators have seen the onboard video, too. Mere seconds into the turn, we could see the train tilting approximately 10 degrees to the right, and then the recording went blank. The 32-year-old engineer suffered a concussion and has amnesia, according to his attorney. No memory of the moments leading up to the crash, but he will talk with investigators. The key question, why did the train accelerate to more than 100 miles an hour, twice the speed limit of that curve? Along the tracks of the devastating derailment, the crumpled remains of the first passenger car and the engine. That engine is equipped with speed control technology, which would have prevented this disaster. But as of this morning, that technology is not along these tracks. By the end of this year, when you have positive train control in here, it will not happen again. When you heard that this train was 106 miles an hour and a 50-mile limit, what did you think? It was a sickening in our stom my stomach. Eight lives lost. Yesterday, this boy looking for his dad. My name is Mark Gildersleeve. Please help me find my dad. Today, the horrible news. His father, 45-year-old Bob Gildersleeve, who recently celebrated his 18th wedding anniversary, among the victims. Mm -hmm. Also, a CEO, a real estate executive, an academic who just got his Ph.D. The youngest, a Naval Academy midshipman. He's had like an aura about him. I can't, I can't remember a bad memory I had with him. Amtrak took me to the scene yesterday, that crumpled first car still on the side of the tracks, just a mess. Crews working feverishly, and Amy, they hope to have this corridor reopened on Tuesday. And David, you mentioned that investigators do plan, of course, on talking to that engineer. Do we know when that may happen? It could come as early as today, Amy. They want him to be of sound mind and the ability to recall what he felt and what he saw and what he heard, and as the NTSB board member here said, basically they want him to tell the story before they ask him any questions could happen today, Amy. All right, David Curley with the latest from Philadelphia. Thank you. That acceleration is such a mystery. Hmm. Try Band-Aid Brand Comfort Sheer Bandages, our most stretchable sheer bandage ever. They're 50% more stretchable, so they fit snug to protect even tough spots from dirt and germs. Band-Aid Brand, used with Neosporin antibiotics. Back here at home now in the southwest, dealing with dangerous flash flooding after drenching rains. Flash flood watches in Texas and Oklahoma tonight, and this evening the rescue is already underway. Look in Buffalo Bayou, three people pulled from the floodwaters. This neighborhood in Corpus Christi underwater. The mailman, though, still making his rounds. And also from Corpus Christi tonight, this car, no match for the rushing water. As tonight, new storms power up. Meteorologist Rob Marciano at the weather wall back in New York. Rob? The ground already saturated, Dave, from all the rainfall they got this past week. And just in the last 24 hours, another 8 to 10 inches from Corpus Christi to Houston. And that's why you're seeing all that flooding today. Tonight, San Antonio to Austin to Dallas, that's where the bulk of the heavier rain is. We'll get in some drier weather behind this. But until then, flash flood watches up tonight for not only Texas, but up through Oklahoma. One day of dry weather, and then we reset the stage on Friday for the threat of severe weather.
Try Band-Aid Brand Comfort Sheer Bandages, our most stretchable sheer bandage ever. They're 50% more stretchable, so they fit snug to protect even tough spots from dirt and germs. Band-Aid Brand. Use with Neosporin Antibiotics. Federal investigators are on the scene tonight. As you heard me report there, that train was traveling more than twice the speed limit as it hit that turn. The train's engine, less than a year old, and the tracks inspected the day before. ABC's David Curley on the crucial clues already tonight. He's here in Philadelphia as well. David? Good evening, David. You mentioned it. The most important clue is speed, and this train was going faster than the speed limit on the straight part of the track and double the speed on the curve that's behind these buildings. The question tonight, why was it going so fast? This box, the event data recorder, tells the horrific story of too much speed. The devastating destruction of the Amtrak train cannot hide the clues that will solve this tragedy. This is about speed? Certainly the speed of the train is something that we will be looking at to determine if that was a factor in the derailment. The rail lines north out of Philadelphia are straight with a speed limit of 70 miles an hour. But approaching the Frankfurt neighborhood, a left corner, the speed there cut to 50 miles an hour. But Amtrak train 188 leaves the Philly station at 9.10 p.m. And 11 minutes later, at 9.21, it's traveling at twice that speed, 106 miles an hour, when the engineer trips the emergency brakes. It's too late. When it hits the corner, the train jumps the tracks, which are twisted and deformed by the force. The engineer, Brandon Bastian, suffered minor injuries. He talked to police briefly, but did not give a formal statement before calling a lawyer and leaving the police station. Can you think of any reason a train having just left the station would get up to 100 miles an hour? Well, we, we want to look at that. We want to look at the acceleration of the train. We want to look at how the train was operated. The one-year-old high-tech electric engine came to rest upright in the dirt, but behind it, the first passenger car, twisted and mangled, the next three cars on their side, the last three still standing. <laughs> NTSB board member Sumwall tells me that they are going to remove five of the cars and the engine. They are leaving two cars there, the most damaged cars. David, there is a chance there may be additional victims in those damaged cars. Of course, uh, David Curley, who covers transportation right here in Philadelphia with me. David, thank you. Band-Aid Brand Comfort Sheer Bandages, our most stretchable sheer bandage ever. They're 50% more stretchable, so they fit snug to protect even tough spots from dirt and germs. Band-Aid Brand, used with Neosporin Antibiotics. The big moment is finally here. Ginger and her drones inside the planet's most magnificent hidden world. We went right up to the brink yesterday. Today... Ginger is going to take us inside. She's been trekking for days, and we are so excited to get inside with Ginger right now. Where exactly are you, Ginger? Oh, George, I am way down here. From the perspective you can see me, about 400 feet below the top of one of the world's largest caverns. It is inside a mountain, inside a jungle, in central Vietnam. And this, I have to be honest with you, has been one of, or the, I would say, most difficult, dangerous, and grittiest assignments I have ever been a part of. Let me explain a little of what's happening. It may look like a white sand beach where we're standing. We've been staying in these tents. We've been cooking over fires. This, again, is very remote. We are not close to any civilization. 
but we've got a lot of folks around us, a great team that has come together because we had to find a hidden world that was only a third of a mile from here and that was only found a couple of decades ago, but really was not discovered and explored until 2009. So this is brand new to our world, the subterranean surreal life that has been revealed, and now you get to be a part of it, including the awesome images you'll see from our friends here at DJI Drones. All right, let's get right into it. We enter through a claustrophobic crevice. Here's a crawl to get into the biggest cave in the world. Okay. So this small, then it opens up. I don't want to miss this part with the GoPro. And drops down and down and down. I can't see beyond the narrow beam of my headlamp, but I am keenly aware that those ropes are here because a fall would be disastrous. Oh, oh sorry. This does not look real. At the bottom, I feel like I've landed on another planet, a subterranean rushing river. Yes. Now I find myself in Mother Nature's sculpture garden, filled with prehistoric boulders and stalagmites, gigantic columns built up from calcium deposited by dripping water. So this is a yeah. stalagmite? Yeah, we're actually in a, inside a stalagmite here, where the water's worn away all the bottom. After a grueling hour, an illuminating light, a thousand feet overhead. Spectacular. So every turn, there's something else. This colossal skylight, where the chamber ceiling collapsed, is called a dolon, breathing life into this underground world. It's a lush, green oasis. Our camp's white sand beaches lit up below. It looks like Avatar in here. It doesn't feel real. No. This is that hidden world we've been chasing. Dondong, or Mountain River Cave, the planet's largest and visited by fewer explorers than outer space. But look at this. It is unbelievable. I'm standing on this colossal stalagmite, the jewel in the crown of Songdong Cave. It's the moment that took my breath away, and it's also the moment I realized we're not even halfway there yet. But we press on, and suddenly I'm in a jungle under a second monster skylight. Not atop a mountain, but inside it, way inside it, more than 800 feet below the surface. We don't normally get trees and jungle in caves. That's why it's quite different. Jungle plants and animals from above adapting to this unique subterranean netherworld. We've um, come across monkeys. Sticks thrown at me by monkeys. In here? In here, They're yeah. Throwing, yeah. Sticks throwing sticks at me. What a view from those drone cameras. This mammoth crater big enough to park two 747s inside and tall enough to fit an 80-story skyscraper. The cave's flowing river, the creator of this alien world, carving its way through a limestone mountain for two million years, forming the largest underground chamber on Earth, more than 1.3 billion cubic feet of subterranean awesomeness. That's wow. more than 15,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools. Appropriate since five months out of the year, this underground marvel is underwater. The river goes 80 meters tall, at least, mm -hmm. 100 meters wide and flowing very, very fast. There's no way you can get anywhere near this area. Danger is everywhere here. Alongside breathtaking beauty, like a fantasy world come to life. To life. The punishing journey worth every ounce of sweat. <sighs> what gives me goosebumps are the still unexplored passages that branch off our route, tunneling deeper. Good morning, America. Welcome to Songdong. The majesty of this place will take you on such an emotional journey. 
I feel superior because I find this. I'm part of history, but I feel inferior because it's something this grandiose was just found. Imagine what else is out there. This adventure is only for the elite, and their, emph their emphasis is on conservation and on sustainability. As rough as it's been, it was totally worth it, now that you can see those images, George. We mm -hmm. sure can, Ginger, and we're looking down on you now. I know that you've got the drone there. Can you set it up the wall to give us a sense of just how deep underground you are since the scale? We are almost 400 feet underground, but this is one of the more shallow places. There are places within Songdong, in that mountain river cave, that are 1,000 feet below or more. And they haven't even explored. Man, that is massive. That is huge. Good Lord. Man, it, it, it's, it's impressive. Um, very impressive. Very impressive. We're going to come back and do our tribute to B.B. King. And, as you all know, David Letterman is leaving this month. He's retiring. Finally retiring after two decades on the air. This is Nation Talk. is a presentation of God Questions Ministries. Is Jesus God? Did Jesus ever claim to be God? Jesus is never recorded in the Bible as saying the precise words, I am God. That does not mean, however, that he did not proclaim that he is God. Take, for example, Jesus' words in John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. We need only to look at the Jews' reaction to his statement to know that he was claiming to be God. They tried to stone him for this very reason. You, a mere man, claim to be God, verse 33. The Jews understood exactly what Jesus was claiming, deity. Notice that Jesus does not deny his claim to be God. When Jesus declared, I and the Father are one, he was saying that he and the Father are of one nature in essence. John 8, verse 58 is another example. Jesus declared, I will tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. The response of the Jews who heard this statement was to take up stones to kill him for blasphemy, as the Mosaic law commanded them to do, Leviticus 24, verse 15. John reiterates the concept of Jesus' deity. The Word was God, and the Word became flesh, John 1, verses 1 and 4. These verses clearly indicate that Jesus is God in the flesh. Acts 20, verse 28 tells us, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood, who bought the church, the church of God, with his own blood, Jesus Christ? This verse declares that God purchased his church with his own blood. Therefore, Jesus is God. 
Thomas, the disciple, declared concerning Jesus, My Lord and my God. John 20, verse 28. Jesus does not correct him. Titus 2, verse 13 encourages us to wait for the coming of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 1, verse 8, the Father declares of Jesus, But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. The Father refers to Jesus as, O God, indicating that Jesus is indeed God. In Revelation, an angel instructed the Apostle John to only worship God, Revelation 19, verse 10. Several times in Scripture, Jesus receives worship, Matthew 2, verse 11, Matthew 28, verse 9, for example. He never rebukes people for worshiping him. If Jesus were not God, he would have told people to not worship him, just as the angel in Revelation did. There are many other verses and passages of Scripture that argue for Jesus' deity. The most important reason that Jesus has to be God is that if he is not God, his death would not have been sufficient to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. A created being, which Jesus would be if he were not God, could not pay the infinite penalty required for sin against an infinite God. Only God could pay such an infinite penalty. Only God could take on the sins of the world, die, and be resurrected, proving his victory over sin and death. God Questions Ministry seeks to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by providing biblical answers to today's questions. Online at gotquestions.org. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Thanks for the ride around Norfolk. Geico is proud to have served the military for over 75 years. Captain's waiting to give you a tour of the Wisconsin now. It's going to be dark by the time I get there. Geico. to one of the greatest R&B songs, The Thrill's Gone, which is written by Rick Daniel, uh, uh, Daniel and Roy Hawkins in 1951. It was recorded by B.B. King in June of 1969. The song became a hit, reaching number three on the R&B and fifth, number 15 on the pop charts and winning a Grammy Award for Best Male R&B Vocal Performance and a Grammy Hall of Fame Award in 1998. It placed a number at number 183 on Rolling Stones magazine list of the 500 greatest songs ever. This is the longest, this is the longest album version. The album is available on CD, 
on the MCA label now. The sound recording is administered by UMG. This week we say goodbye to blues legend, Mr. B.B. King. He will be missed in uh, he was he was definitely absolutely King of the Blues. B.B. King has been an influence to a lot of guitarists like Eric Clampton and so many others. This This is actually one of my favorite songs of his. How he, uh, how he, uh, named his, his guitar Lucille is, <laughs> it's, it's very funny. Um, it's because of a fight <laughs> in, a, in a bar, and the lady, by the way, was, her name was Lucille, so he named the guitar after, after this lady, we call her. Fighting over, and and she, he called the lady was named Lucille, so he named the guitar Lucille. Uh this is one of my favorite. Um, this is one of my favorite. Um, episodes of the Cosby Show when BB King was on there. When King sings the blues.
Anyway, um, uh, then I started recording. So um, after about five or six recordings, I was lucky to get one that was a big hit among black people at the time, called Three O'Clock Blues, one of Lowell Folsom's tunes. Then I made a record called The Thrill Has Gone and toured with the Rolling Stones and groups like that. And then we had what they call a crossover. Mm -hmm. That led to, uh, uh, you know, the people that we play to today. What do you think about it? What do you feel about crossover? It's, it's funny to hear that, uh, you know, uh, such the blues being a, such a black thing, yes. and uh, to think that now we've crossed over to our own thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a word that I guess I've been uh, kind of uh, how can learn to uh, use, I guess. Uh, but <laughs> one thing you like about it, you like that um, as long as you're able to play to people. That's the thing that's important to me is being able to have an audience, being able to. I know that there are people that like what you do or your artistry. Uh, at one time, I felt that uh, it was dying out too fast, but today I feel that it's dying out as we've known it. But uh, we still got. Uh, do you mean black music? Uh, yes, mm -hmm. especially blues. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, now don't misunderstand. Uh, we got so many. Uh, talented people that are continuously creating that the music is being created uh, or shall we say new ways to play old music is being created all the time and believe it or not some very wonderful sounds are coming from it but I'm hoping and it seemed to me that the hands on the clock will come on back to 12 again you know in other words I'm hoping that it will evolve a bit back into the area of some of the music that I think that has been left behind. And this is, uh, I think, a thing that is needed because uh, too far mechanical, we lose the feeling, I think, of the roots of it. And, and don't misunderstand me, even though a blues singer, I still can't play as I did in 48 because I don't feel like that now in 49. But uh, I still... Uh, want to have that feeling. I still want to hear that sound that leads back to those roots. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're hearing it now. Don't misunderstand me. Even the most popular young people, like I was listening to Prince uh, with uh, uh, the, uh, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of it. Uh, purple, uh, purple Rain. Purple Rain, mm -hmm. yeah. Very bluesy. Very, and when I say very bluesy, that might be. Uh, a bad word for, you know, for young people when they hear it, but it still is. It's very soulful, as they use the word, but still bluesy to me. That's the roots that you still hear. And a lot of the things from, uh, like, Purple Rain, man, when I hear that, I'm back. <laughs> I feel like I want to, you know, get back and boogie the old way some, you know. Of course, you know, in hearing Prince today, that you can, and especially with his lead guitar playing, you can hear a lot of B.B. King there. <laughs> you know, thank you. But I don't know if they realize it, uh, you know, that that they are really hidden back to roots, but that's good. And uh, I, I, it seems to me, though, that a lot of the young, talented people are not ashamed of it, and that's good. That's what's so good. Um, uh, a lot of times people that's been in the blues field, uh, we felt somewhat neglected because 
uh, only seem like the white kids that seem to dig uh, what we do, and a lot of the young black kids have seemed to have been a little bit shy of, you know, allowing themselves, unless they were at the college level or something like that. Now, I find that when we go to the colleges, a lot of times we're saying quite a few uh, young black people that we used to did not see, but now we're starting to see them, and I'm very happy about that. Black music will be in the future. Uh, the way it's going now, it's going to be hard to tell black from white music uh, or uh, any ethnic group. It seemed to be such a mixture of it at the time. I think some parts of it is good. But, uh, it would be nice, I think, though, to be able to, you know, change from one station to another and at least expect to hear something different uh, to one's taste at the time. I'm a rec record collector, but I'm very moody. Some days I might want to hear rock, some days soul, some days jazz, some gospel, and some days blues. I don't necessarily want to hear it all in one thing, you know, but I like to know, even though I guess maybe I'm contradicting myself sometimes because we often, uh, I'm often uh, complaining about not being able to get blues records played like other types of records on the radio. But I do think that the format of the station or uh, wherever it's played that can feature because we got such a variety of artists that play such a variety of music so our station can program something and still stay within, uh, you might say, the pattern of which they normally play and still be able to play various artists, I think. like these, violence in our schools is a reality. So it's important to know how to prevent such tragedies from happening. Talk to your kids. Explain to them the dangers of weapons at school and tell them that if they see a student with a weapon or even hear someone talking about having one, 
They need to report it immediately. Tell them if something doesn't look right or seem right to you, speak up. Get to know who your child is spending time with and where they are at all times. If you notice that your child has sudden mood or behavior changes or seems to always be angry or sad, talk to a teacher, administrator, or medical professional. Be a role model for them and settle your own conflicts without resorting to violence. School should be a safe place for our children. We all need to work together to keep it that way. Let's put an end to these tragedies. Ask your school to adopt an anti-violence program. Visit ncpc.org to learn more on how to keep our children safe. That's ncpc.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to our second hour of Nation Talk. The last three decades, you've been hearing this theme song. Not that theme song. For the last three decades, you've been hearing a familiar theme song, especially on the CBS network. David Letterman is hanging it up. He's retiring after three decades on the air with his stupid pet tricks, top ten countdown, stupid human tricks, numerous of guests, of course, hanging out with with his favorite band leader. Paul Schaefer and the CBS Orchestra. This is his last. Well, this is his last week on the air. So why not give him a send off? <laughs> Yeah, I, I had none of it. 
when I did late night here. I mean, this is, I could go, we had, we had nothing when we were doing late night here. He goes, and I'll never forget this line. He goes, I'm jealous of your linoleum. <laughs> I'm jealous of your linoleum. Anyways, uh, it's, it's hard to imagine late night TV without him because he, he revolutionized it. Um, he made it what it is today. And, uh, <laughs> after I heard the news, you know, I started thinking about it, uh, the reasons why Letterman is retiring, and I actually came up with a bunch of reasons. You know, I was trying to why you want to do it, but, um, like a list? Yeah, I mean, it's too many to read, but right. I mean, like, kind of like a list. Yeah. Yeah, how many? So many, but if you want, I could just read you my top ten. Alright, yeah. Okay, here are the uh, here are the top ten reasons <laughs> I thought of. Yeah, you thought of it. Top ten reasons Letterman is retiring. <clears throat> Number ten, he wants to quit while he's still able to compete on Dancing with the Stars. Uh, number nine, made millions selling crack to Rob Ford. Uh, doesn't need the money. Number eight, time slot was getting too Jimmy-esque. Arsenio's real name is Jimmy. Is it Jimmy Arsenio? Yeah. yeah. Uh, number seven, he's not retiring. He's consciously unhosting. Oh, that's much better. <laughs> that's much better there. Number six, stop hammock time. There you go. Number, well, some of them aren't going to be great, guys. Sorry. Number five, Hillary Letterman, 2016. Yeah. Number four, after 31 years, finally got through to the Obamacare website. Uh, number three, one word, elopra. Uh, number two, Jay Leno needs a partner for next season's Amazing Race. <laughs> and the number one reason David Letterman is retiring, Jimmy Fallon is stealing his bits. There you go, everybody. thing about Paul Schaefer and the band, you know them and yep. you love them Always did. because yes. you know them and love them. Because you know them. Because you know them and love them, you know them and love exactly them. Exactly right. That's my kind of logic. A week uh, from today, I think, what is the day today? Is today the 4th? Yeah. So I guess no, well, the 3rd. Today is the 3rd. 3rd. So about a week from today, maybe nine days from today. Okay. What is 12 minus 3? Oh. You're trusting me now? Nine, Nine days. Yeah. Roughly a week. Some weeks feel longer. Um, I'll be celebrating my birthday. I will be 67 years old. Six seven. Sixty-seven uh -huh. years old. Six seven. We say in show business. You'll be six seven. Wow. <laughs> now, the only reason I bring this up, well, there's many reasons, okay. but a reason for bringing this up is when Paul and I started together doing this show, and then we used to have another show at another network over there at uh, NBC. Yeah. Uh, I was 34. 34. So if you figure that up, roughly I have spent half my time
Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And, and more importantly, yeah. No, oh, come on. But it is fantastic. That kind of a. I mean, you don't. Nobody, no, no. Does, nobody does that. Nobody does. That, yeah. Really. Well, you've been there. Uh, more importantly, busy. that means I spent half my life in makeup. Well, that. Listen. <laughs> somebody cares. Yeah. That's all. And talking to uh, lovely actresses. Yeah. Here at uh, CBS, Paul and I have done 4,014 shows. 4,014 shows. 4014. That's here at CBS. Here at CBS. Yes. I'm begging you to stop applauding yeah. every single entry in this list. Until, yeah. You're going to be exhausted. Please withhold. You're yes. saying, please withhold. Your uh, when we were at uh, NBC, we did 1,810 shows. Okay. You yeah. know what that is? That's no. a total of, uh, well, you count the morning show. How uh, many morning shows were there? 90. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings a total of uh, shows that uh, Paul and I have done together for 34 years. Uh, well, and then... So we did for four years. Paul and I had a very popular show in Ecuador. Well, that was, <laughs> yeah, but that we don't talk about. No, that. we don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can't refer. To no, and then you were not part of the morning. Show, I wasn't right? on the morning. And show. why is that? Couldn't get up that early. Couldn't get up that early. That's not the point of what you were. That's not to the say. point. No. What were you? Uh, so anyway, what this represents uh, in 34 years, 5,914 shows, almost 6,000 shows, yes, ladies yes, and gentlemen. Right. It's fantastic. <clears throat> now, uh, people say, well, wh why are you bringing this up? And the question I get a, a lot from uh, people on the street, they come up to me and they say, Kathy Lee, I know, how much I know, longer? I know they do. How much longer do you think you can be doing this? People are already are saying that? Yeah, they say that to me all the time. They've been saying that to me for a long, long time. And, and I said, uh, I said uh, when this uh, show stops being fun, I, I will retire ten years later. <laughs> what I say. But you can't help but think about the passage of time. It happens to all of us. It's the way of life. And, and now I'm going to tell you a little story. Last uh, autumn, uh, my son and I, uh, Harry, uh, went, went, went out fishing. And we're out on a, a reservoir. And it's a beautiful autumn day. And we're not catching anything. But that's not the point. She said, well, how was uh, work? And I said, oh, well, we think we identified uh, the bird. Yeah. We called the Audubon Society. I called our friends in Montana. What, what if I retire? Why would you retire? And I said, well, because uh, then I would be able to spend more time with the family. And Harry looked at me and said, which part of the family? <laughs> so with that vote of confidence, uh, earlier today, the man who owns this uh, network, Leslie Moonves, he and I have had a relationship for years and years and years. And we've had this conversation in the past, and we agreed that we would work together uh, on this circumstance and the timing of this circumstance. And I phoned him just before the program, and I said, Leslie, it's been great. You've been great. The network has been great, but I'm retiring. This is really? Yep. This is Yep, that's right. And so there it is. Evan then retires.
right before Funko off the air, here's a, a, a little bit of his first show with his first guest back in 1982, Bill Murray. Thank you. We got, we got a guy trapped over here. This will be fun to watch. Come on. Just crawl on through here. That's all right. Go right ahead. Oh, I enjoy seeing a grown man do that occasionally. Go ahead. It's our producer, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, nothing left to chance here, you know. Well, about now you're asking yourself, gee, I wonder what else this show has. Well, I'll tell you, we have one of those. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to introduce my first guest uh, with credits that include Saturday Night Live, uh, the film's Meatballs, Caddyshack, Where the Buffalo Roam and Stripes. Bill Murray has become one of the top box office draws in show business. And besides that, he's a very funny man, and it's a pleasure to have him on our first program. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Murray. That was 1982, his first show. He was with NBC. Now, time to retire. <laughs> well, speaking of retirement, it's time for me to retire. Not, not to give up the program, or programs, but to retire from today's, tonight's program. We'll be on tomorrow morning at uh, 6 a.m. as usual. Um, here on Talk Street and Jam Radio. Morning Inspirations and Jam Radio 2.1. I enjoyed this program. I, I enjoyed this. This was very, very, very good. Um, lot Politics and nostalgia. What a night. What a night. What a night. What a night. With that being said, again, join me tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Morning inspiration for January 2.1 for the very best in gospel inspiration and music early in the morning. The views and opinions of Nature Talk are not necessarily views of Talk Show, Generated Productions, com, and its sponsors. This has been Nature Talk, a public affairs program air Sunday night 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Join us next Sunday for another Nation Talk here on Talk Show and Jam Radio. Until, until, tomorrow, until tomorrow morning, God bless you. Good night, and have a wonderful week.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.